just different perspectives. What my brother said is key on his podcast and his lectures. What's up? Hello, how you doing? And welcome to the debut episode of the Perspective is Key podcast. My name is Tavares Hawkins, and on today's show, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a phrase that's super important to me, um, especially important maybe also to you if you are going to get from where you are currently at to where your goals say you want to be or where you want to get to. So today's show is titled Fix Your Focus, flat out. There are adjustments that may need to be done along the way towards that goal that you said you wanted toward that place that you said you wanted to be at and it's up to you to make them so let's jump right into it it's April of 2015 and as I'm being discharged from the hospital my nurse is explaining to me that I now have hit the different marks and numbers and vitals that I need to uh, what the doctors want to see to to release me I've done an exclusive battery of tests very intensive, um, a lot of batteries of tests, and I've done well on those. And in total, I've been in the hospital for 12 days now. And since I'm hitting all those benchmarks that they have set for me post-stroke, they're now telling me I'm able to be discharged. And she's my nurse is telling me about all these follow-up appointments that I need to have with different specialist doctors and so forth. And it, it, it became very overwhelming, and you'll understand why in a minute. It was all very important information, though. I mean, I needed to make sure I got that stuff done. Um, I'm taking notes. My wife is right by my side. She's taking notes. She's encouraging me. And, you know, there's specialty doctors. There's my primary doctor. There's uh, many different therapies that I needed, including, uh, first and foremost, physical therapy. Um, the stroke, so my body had now experienced, due to the stroke, a mild life left-sided weakness in my body that you may not have been able to notice if I didn't tell you from the outside looking in. But living it, going through it, it was very clear to me when I would try to do even small things, opening a bottle or doing things with my left hand, which was unusual for me because even though I'm right-hand dominant, um, as a kid, when I was learning how to play basketball, my brother, uh, to be able to play uh, with with him and his friends and his other friends, and, you know, they were all older than me, three or four years, five years older than me. And so, like, one of the first things he taught me how to do was to dribble with my left hand and and shoot with my left hand from close range and pass with my left hand. And so I could tell that I had... Uh, a, a mild left-sided weakness because I had trained myself at a young age or my brother had helped me train myself to use my left hand even though I was a right-handed dominant person. And so it was clear to me that it was there. Um, I had speech therapy um, for the short-term memory loss that I had now. I was now experiencing, you know, I could have conversations with people earlier in the day and by nightfall, I wouldn't remember the conversation, or I should say details of the conversation. I couldn't remember conversations, details of conversations that I had with people just days before. It was a nightmare, uh, but it was weird how it worked because that's short-term memory. 
long-term memory, things that um, happened when I was growing up as a kid or uh, when I was in high school or even college. Like, I, I could remember those things way better than I can remember anything that maybe just happened yesterday or maybe just happened last week. It was it was kind of weird, but that was the short-term memory at play up front and center. Um, there were many cognitive functions that I was having issues with, such as my perception, uh, my divided attention, my decision-making, my ability to understand simple instructions, uh, my concentration, focus, uh, just my train of thought had now all been severely compromised. And I would later go on to do some, some occupational therapy in addition to that speech therapy because both of them would kind of help me get back to where I needed to be at, to be at a functioning level at least, uh, or a higher functioning level than I was at post-trope. Um, there was some visual therapy um, that I needed to do and some driving rehabilitation therapy that I needed to do too. Because post-trope, I was left with a condition known as left-sided homonymous hemianopia, which means that I no longer have Right now, even, I no longer have peripheral vision in the left half of each eye. So, for instance, if I'm looking straight ahead, I have no peripheral vision to the left, nor do I have peripheral vision any to, for anything that's below shoulder level. And I didn't know this right away. It would, it would take some of these follow-up appointments that I just talked to you about for me to really grasp the concept of what homonymous hemianopia was or is and is basically a partial blindness. And so my neurologist, when I, once I finally got a chance to see my neurologist and he did his uh, test on me once I was going for my follow-up appointments, he basically said, you shouldn't be driving anymore. You can't drive anymore. You're partially blind. And so based on everything that was happening at the time, I, I even saw a psychologist too. I, I thought that that was really important for me because I needed to start to sort through everything that was taking place in my life from, from having a stroke to surviving the stroke, thank God, to now being partially blind and being told that I can't work. Like, I can't, I can't go into the workspace to earn a living for my family. Like, I, I talked to a psychologist for all of these different reasons. Like, I just couldn't wrap my head around everything that was going on at the time. And, I, you know, not being able to put faces to names of people that I had known. And it was a lot happening. And I needed to talk through it. I needed to sort some of those thoughts out. And so all things considered, I struggled tremendously with the impact that having a stroke had on me both physically and mentally. And I definitely journeyed in and out of the stages of grief that Emily Kubler-Ross talks about in her book on grief and grieving, where she kind of talks about grieving not only in the way that most people think about grieving, 
when they lose a loved one, a loved one passes away or something of that nature, but just grieving over any loss in your life. And in my case, I was experiencing loss on multiple levels. I wasn't able to work anymore. I had two jobs at the time. I was a sports administrator, an event, sports events planner, and I was a high school basketball coach. Uh, I was now being told that I couldn't work either one of those jobs, or I shouldn't be working either one of those jobs, I should say, probably um, is a better explanation of, of how it went. Uh, my house, my house, I, was, I lost my house. And my health was just seemed to be slipping through my fingertips. And, you know, everything that I had worked for up to this point had just seemed to be washed away, washing away. And um, I was going through it. So there was, there was this shock and denial at first that had me kind of feeling like, what? You know, when the doctors told me what was happening, I was shocked. Like, what is going on? How could a 38-year-old have a stroke? You know, I've been active. You know, I've done what I needed to do. You know, I've been on medications for the hypertension that I was diagnosed with uh, late in my college years. And I just wasn't putting two and two together. I couldn't understand it. So I... There was shock, there was denial, I was angry, you know, I was angry at myself, Um, I kind of felt like maybe it was my fault, there was more that I could have been doing health-wise, so that I'm not in this position, I wasn't in this place, Uh, could I have been, I'm asking myself all these questions, could I have been on a better exercise routine? Should I have been questioning my doctors more about the medications I was taking? Should I have changed my my diet, the way I was eating? I never really ate bad, but um, I'm I'm sure there was probably uh, different things that I could have added or subtracted to my diet that that may have helped control my blood pressure a little bit better than just medications. And I just couldn't understand. I was I was mad at my doctors. Like, how could they, you know, I've been going to the doctor. Like, I did felt like it just hit me without warning. Um, and so I had been trying to keep up. This was would be my second stroke. And so I had been trying to keep up with all the things and lessons that I learned from my first stroke uh, to make sure that I, this didn't happen again. But somewhere along the line... It just didn't work out like that. So for those reasons, I was mad at myself. I was mad at my doctors. I was mad at my God. I just couldn't understand how God could allow me to suffer in all these different ways. But, you know, I was I was totally overlooking the fact that sometimes God uses suffering to develop us into better people. And he allows us to have faith in his presence that he will be there for you during difficult times. And that's one thing I hadn't lost. I hadn't lost my faith. I was I was hanging on to that pretty tight, you know. Um, my mom was sending me scriptures every morning. Uh, my mother and father had brought us up in church and to have faith and in God and his will. And so I did. I was holding on to my faith. Um, 
my wife and my daughters were super supportive and, and picking up the slack for me and, and things that I couldn't do any longer. Uh, my church family, my, my biological family, my, my, my in-laws, the side of the family, uh, all of my friends were showing up in major ways, all sorts of ways that just kind of blew my mind to support the level of the support that my family and I received behind this. And so fast forward a little bit, my wife and my daughters, they began to start making me aware of some different behavior patterns that I'm exhibiting now, and they just weren't normal for me. Like, I, I had a quick fuse about everything, number one. Number two, I was, I was being super short in conversations, and that just, you know, I'm not a super big talker, but even though I'm doing this podcast right now, <laughs> uh, but I was being short in conversations with my family, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, I just couldn't remember details of anything, discussions that we had earlier in the day, uh, a lot of different behaviors that were out of character for me. And so on one particular evening, my wife, she sees me with this like somber look of bewilderment on my face. And, you know, it's, I don't even know if it was the evening. I think it was probably about three or four in the morning. You know, I'm just sitting on the edge of the bed and it wakes her up. She asks me like, what's going on? You know, it's the middle of the night. What are you doing? And, uh, you know, she just kind of hit me like, I can tell when you in thought or something is bothering you because it's all over your face and you're up in the middle of the night. And so at that moment, I began to ramble about all of these misfortunes that were happening in recent days, recent weeks. And now if you know anything about my wife, and you know, I love it. I love this is one of the multitudes of qualities that I love about her is that she is going to be real honest with you about how she feels. She is going to be honest with you about what she is thinking. The bottom line is she going she going to keep it real with you. She going to be real. Period. And in her words, she says to me, "You need to fix your focus and quit worrying about and, and stressing out about the things that you can no longer do and the stuff that we no longer have. And just give thanks. Have gratitude. And be thankful for the things that you can still do, like walking, like talking, like just being alive. I'm thankful that you are just alive. You almost died. Be thankful for that, if nothing else. The things you do still have, like a loving family, a supportive family, medical insurance, a roof over our heads, ability to get the bills paid, food in the refrigerator. I mean, she was giving me the business. And at that point, I kind of feel like that's the point that I somewhat snapped out of this pity party that I was having for myself. 
and I would later tell her, you know what? Without a shadow of doubt, in my mind, I felt like she was 100% right. And she was basically telling me to quit feeling sorry for myself and do whatever work I needed to do to get myself back on the right track. Because even though I couldn't drive anymore, we still had the means to get the places that we needed to be. Even though I was sick, we still had good medical insurance. Even though I didn't have a job anymore, she did. A good one, by the way. So we were still able to pay for things that we needed to pay for. Even though I couldn't coach basketball anymore, I still was able to coach the best team by far that I have ever had an opportunity to coach. And that team was my wife, my three daughters, the Hawk Team Hawkins. I had to shift my mindset. I had to shift my perspective and leave the denial stage and enter into the acceptance stage. This was my reality. This is what is currently happening. And I needed to be able to to recognize that if I was ever going to be able to move forward. The way I initially had looked at everything that had taken place could have been and probably was very toxic to myself and my family. And it, it, if I didn't hurry up and fix it, it was going to be toxic to the journey, journey that I had ahead of me in my recovery process. Or as we talked about a little bit earlier when we talked about the stages of grief, the upward turn, the reconstruction of Tavares Jamal Hawkins. I had to leave the neighborhood of negativity if I was ever going to get to the place of grace, gratitude, and growth, which is really where I wanted to be. That's where I needed to be. And during this time, there was a quote that I saw. Um, comes from a philosopher. He was a philosopher, poet, writer. I want to say in the 17th century. Um, his name is Zayat Abdenauer. And, and what he says is this. What he says is like, Life is like photography. You need the negatives to develop. It was simple, but very true. That spoke to me. It was simple, but very true. Because, you know, maybe this is a situation that I needed to, to help me develop some character. Learn how to weather the storm. Learn how to deal with adversity and look at eye to eye and be an example for my wife and be an example for my daughters and be an example for those that were close to me and my family and my friends.
And so, you know, you don't always need people to tell you what's so great about yourself. I mean, I needed at that point my wife to tell me, hey, fix your focus. We got a better, a different perspective you need to be looking at this thing from. Because you could not be here right now. It was the, the basis of what she was saying. You know, I, I came close to death. And there are, I could have been impacted by this stroke in much worse ways than I actually was. So what about the material things? I got the people that I love and my life still here, supporting me, helping me, walking the walk with me every single day. That's the important stuff. That's the perspective that I need to be approaching this thing from. We'll talk a little bit more about it in following episodes, but we have reached the end, my friends. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, follow the show, and leave us, give us feedback on PIK podcast.com we're on twitter at pik podcast we're on facebook and instagram at perspective is key podcast uh, engage with us give us your questions uh, interact with us let us know what you're thinking about the show uh, what would you like to hear on the show uh, any special episodes or subjects thank you for joining us today And we will catch you on the next episode of the Perspective is Key podcast.